I was, uh, let me start again. I'm going to pray. Father, I just pray that we would hear your heart and your voice this morning. That we would understand the urgency of the times that we live in. That in this moment there's an opportunity to save people, to populate heaven, and detract from hell. That right in this moment, Lord, there's an opportunity to get ourselves strong. An opportunity for us to get in shape. Lord, help us to take that opportunity. Speak words to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I was uh, thinking... I do a lot of thinking. Um, so one of the things that's a joy of being a pastor, you get to, to be in the world, word, you get to look at what's going on in the world, and increasingly you get to link the two up uh, and see like history's evolving right on the pages of uh, where we are in the world at the moment. But in that, you you see that increasingly that there are shocks to the system that come along. You know, we, we had the whole COVID thing, and then we had the invasion of Ukraine, and then we've got the, the war in Israel, and then there's all sorts of other stuff. There's, there's the economic consequences of that. There's inflation, there's interest rates, there's mortgages. There's all sorts of things that can knock our faith if we're not strong. And, and, and the thing that concerns me in all of this is, are we strong enough? You know, that, that's the thing that, that should really concern the pastor, I think. Is the people that he's responsible for, are they strong enough? Are they strong enough to make it through? Are they strong enough to stand? Are they strong enough to trust God despite of circumstances? Where are their eyes? Are their eyes on the news? Are they, is, it, is it on the word of God, where, where is it? What is it that, that's taking our lives? And I thought it was a, a really good message from Nikki yesterday about, uh, uh, sorry, last week, about where, where, where do you find space in all your luggage? That's space for Jesus. And uh, it strikes me that that, that that space needs to, you know, in Jesus' terms, needs to be filled out with stuff that makes us strong and healthy. Not religious stuff, Jesus stuff. And so I was pondering all this, and, and the Holy Spirit led me to this verse. Um, well, it's three verses, actually, from Psalm 112. The righteous man shall not be moved. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He's not afraid of evil tidings. His heart fixed and trusts in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid. Now, I, I find that verse really challenging if you uh, do what uh, James says, which is that the word is like a mirror. So I look, I look at that word and I say, okay, what, how do I measure up to that word? You know, is it true that I'm not moved? 
Is it true that I'm in remembrance of what God has done for me and what he's promised and what he's said? Am I afraid or not of evil tidings? Is my heart fixed on him? Is my heart established in him? So I read that and I look at it and I, I compare my life to it. And that's how the word's supposed to work. Now, it's not easy to stay steady, is it? To, to be that um, established, uh, unmoving person that's described that. It's not easy to do that when the economy's shaking, the world's rocking, there's wars, there's, poli there's politics, there's all sorts of things going on. Um, and so it's not easy to live out what we see in that word. It's not easy to be that person. Because all these things that keep coming along seem to be more and more frequent. And it's not only that, we're just more and more aware of them as well because of the technology. You know, something happens in the world, you know about it 15 minutes later in, in, in the, on the other side of the world. And so how do we respond? How do you respond? How do I respond? And stay on your feet rather than getting knocked over by all this stuff that comes along. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's not, this isn't a difficult message. This is kind of a, this is where we, we, we put our luggage. This is what we fill those spaces up with. This is Jesus stuff. So instead of, the idea is that instead of letting our, our joy and our peace go up and down with the stock market or go up and down with the latest thing on the news or go up and down with by-election results or protests or whatever, instead of let that happening, then we're called to be unchangeable like that man in the Psalms, unmoved by it. So when, when, we, when we look at that and we take that challenge, for me, I think, well, I've got a long way to go till I'm that unmovable man. Because things do come along and they do challenge you and they do rock you. And if you take your eyes off Jesus, then you only have yourself left. And so I look at that and I go, right, okay, Lord, you've said your words in mirror. You've said that you... Uh, you uh, put it there for me to look at. So I want to look at that and, work and understand how I can become that unchangeable man, unmoved by what is around me, but moved by the word of God. And uh, so how do you do that? Where does that kind of faith come from? And that, that's what I was asking the Holy Spirit when I was praying about this. Where does that sort of first faith come from? And he, and he showed me three things, and they're simple things. So we're going to be simple this morning. But if you understand what I'm saying, you'll understand that the simple things are of, often the deepest things. And so we want to understand simply, but we want to apply it deeply. So firstly, this is what he showed me. So where's the first thing? And the first thing is to remember who you are. When all this is going on around you, you remember who you are. And often we find it difficult to, to be stable. Often we find it difficult in the face of whatever circumstances come in our life or whatever diagnosis or whatever bank statement or whatever bill or whatever relationship issue or whatever else comes along. We find it difficult uh, to, to be stable because we've forgotten who we are. 
Or maybe we've never known who we are. Because the, the reason that Shaul in particular was moved to, to start out in ministry and start out in faith life is because we, we kept encountering Christian after Christian who'd been in churches for 10, 20, 30 years and didn't know who they were in Christ, um, didn't know what was, was possible through faith, didn't know how to stand. And, and, the, and, and because of that, what we found is, is people who were just thrown about by everything that came along, no different from the world. And yet Paul, when he talks about that sort of behavior and, and, and responses, he says, you are behaving like mere men. The implication being we're not mere men. And so if you don't understand that, it, it's really important to know that when you were born again, when you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. He became one with your spirit. And what, what that means is that you have access to a wisdom you didn't have before. You have access to counsel you didn't know before. You have access to foresight you didn't have before. You have access to the power of God working in your life that you didn't have before. So you're not a mere man or a mere woman. You have a born-again believer. Paul says you're a new species of being. And so that's who you are. So when we look in the mirror and we look at those verses, we should be saying, that's who I am in my spirit. Now I just need to live listening and in connection with my spirit rather than just on how I feel and, and, and what I hear and what other people say. So I should be living in connection with my spirit. Because not only are there some Christians who have never been taught this, but there's also a lot of Christians who've heard this, but just don't live it. And, and the reason for that is that we, we have these pressures in life and it's just easy to forget who we are. It, it's easy to remember who we are on a Sunday morning when I'm talking, but it's harder to remember on a Monday morning when the post comes through the door or the telephone rings at work. It's just harder. But it's not impossible because of who you are. But we've got to remember who we are. And Jesus told us that the way that the kingdom is received, the way that we uh, live these things, the way we apply these things, varies from person to person. According to what? Not according to the person. Because God's not a respecter of pe people. He, he, everybody's the same in this. But it varies according to the condition of our hearts. And Jesus told this parable, didn't he? The, the parable of the sower, where the, the word, the same word had a different effect depending on the condition of somebody's heart. So what that tells me is that we need to look after our hearts. And looking after our hearts firstly involves remembering that the Holy Spirit is one with our spirit and that is right at the center of our being and that's where we live from. So when we remember that, 
what it allows us to do is identify some of the areas where our hearts aren't as soft as we need them to be. That's, that's why we, we read the Word in parts, because the Word shows us what's going on inside of us. When we do that process I've just talked about, which is look at the Word and say, how do I compare to that description? How do I compare to the way that person was living? And so that gives us the opportunity to change. Because we don't, we don't need to be people whose hearts are hard. We don't need to be people whose hearts are shallow. You know, we, we hear something, uh, we go, yeah, I really like that. But by the time we've got to the coffee machine on a Sunday morning, we forgot it. We're on to something else. We're on to who do I talk to, who do I chat to, who do I catch up with, etc. There's nothing wrong with that. But for some people in the body of Christ, that's as far as the word goes. And for, for others, we, we, we embrace it and we get excited about it and, and we've, you know, we, we've been to something and it was exciting and then that dwindles and dwindles and eventually it goes. And then there's the other people, isn't there, the, where, where the pressures of life, the, all the, the noise, all the, all the stuff that's going on crowd it out. And so we, we have to keep coming back to that, that mirror and checking our heart against it. Because the Holy Spirit in our heart is there in order to change us, to strengthen us, and to build us up. So that we can be that person. And Jesus said this. He said, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So what that tells me is this isn't something that I'm going to get to uh, by natural talent. It tells me that this isn't about natural wisdom. It's about the Holy Spirit living in me and through me and speaking to me. So he says, the Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak are both spirit and life. The words that I speak are both spirit and life. Now, go back to the start of that sentence. He says, it's the Spirit who gives life. I don't know if you, uh, perhaps some of the older members in, in, in the church will remember this, but in my version when I was growing up, that says it is the spirit that quickens. The spirit that quickens. And I used to think that means that it, it, it like supercharges my life. So I could like go, I'm like revved up and I'm, and I'm going for it. And like I'm on fire. And that's not what that word means at all. So when you look at it, this word translated quickens, what it means is it's the same word as you would use to, I, I don't know whether you uh, do this. My mum used to say when I bit, bit my fingernails as a kid, you'll bite it down to the quick. So the quick is this bit at the bed of your nail that everything else in the nail lives from. It's the source of life. So what, what, it, what it's talking about here is... Uh, it's the part of you that's alive. And it's the spirit, not the flesh, that makes you alive, that, that, that is that source. Now, again, this is simple. As a believer, put your hand up if you're a believer. Good, that's good. All right. 
as a believer, we can go, well, how, how, does, how does that happen? How, where, how does this work for me? Because I don't have this amazing faith. I, 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 I hear what Mark says, or I hear what Nikki says, or I hear what anybody else says, and, and I'm, I'm just not there. Perhaps he's given them more than he gave me. Perhaps they're just especially blessed by God. That's not the truth. It's easy to think that, particularly by observation. Because you might think, well, they are blessed, more blessed than me. But the truth is this, and we, every time we, we look at this, we go to the word. The truth is this, that God has deposited in you his own life-producing faith. So when we say, well, somebody's got great faith and somebody's got little faith, we're talking about how that faith has been developed, how that potential has been used. We're not talking an absence of faith. Everybody has some faith. That's how you got saved in the first place. Everybody believes some things. But if we, if we want to believe God for more and more, we have to develop that faith. And everybody's been given the same amount of faith when they became a believer. So the only difference is then is how we develop that faith. And, and, and that's why the Holy Spirit was given to you, because that's how that's, that faith was planted in you. The Holy Spirit is there to produce faith in you. So if we'll do the things that the Word advises us to do, that faith will grow. And we'll find ourselves in, in a year or two's time, maybe, or six months' time or whatever, depending on how quick we, this track happens, we'll find ourselves being able to believe God for some things that we've struggled with right now or we've struggled with in the past. So how do we develop that faith? So remembering who we are, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we've been given God's faith put in our hearts for there for us to develop. So how do we how do we do that? Now, often when I've asked that question, I can get like loads of opinions and loads of ideas about how we do it. But actually, the, the Bible really talks and focuses on two things that grow our faith, irrespective of circumstances. See, other things grow our faith. Let, let me just tell you that. Other things grow our faith. For instance, being around be other believers who are walking in faith on a consistent basis will grow your faith because you'll hear what they're saying, you'll see the results of their prayers, and you'll go, oh my goodness, it works. So that grows your faith. So that's why it's important to be around other believers. That will grow your faith. Sometimes testimonies will grow your faith. Hearing testimonies from other people will grow your faith. But the two things that the Bible guarantees will grow your faith are the two things that I'm going to focus on. A simple way of looking at this. Okay, so um, when we were on our sabbatical out in Portugal in May, um, 
we were in a, in, in a really nice hotel um, looking out towards the sea. And we'd been there a couple of days. And then the hotel seemed to be transformed. It kind of went all yellow. And there were signs all over the place. And we realized that apart from us in the hotel, everybody else in the hotel was there on a worldwide conference. So they, they were all here from all over the world, and there's me and Chez wandering around. And this conference was uh, something that you might have heard of, that Cheryl had heard of before, because Ellen had told her about it, called Zoe. Heard about Zoe? Yeah, you. And, and so Cheryl just happened, because she's Cheryl, to engage in conversation with the worldwide marketing director of Zoe, who, of course, told Cheryl how amazing it was. So if you don't know what Zoe is, it, it's kind of started as a research project in, in, in COVID between King's College in London and Harvard in the US. And basically, they're looking at how different people respond to different forms of nutrition, because apparently we don't all respond the same. That's why diets work for some people and not other people. So it's a research project, but it's also a kind of get-your-body-healthy project. So, so we're there, and we're thinking, right, we... we so you can imagine, just Cheryl's got this from the marketing director. I now have nine days of listening to Cheryl talk about how we need to get fit and how we need to get healthy and, and all this sort of thing. And, and she's, she's marching us down off over the clifftops and along the beaches and she's, she's going for it. And right at the core of it all is two things. Good food that works for you and exercise. Okay? Good food and exercise. Unfortunately, a lot of the good food looks green. <laughs> <laughs> it does not look like chips or steak or curry. Anyway, so we need food and exercise to be healthy physically. Yeah? And, it, and it's got to be the right sort of food because we're all eating all the time. But what it produces depends on what we put in. So if we eat junk, we get junk out. And if we eat good stuff, we feel healthier and better. And so to be healthy, you need food. To be spiritually healthy, you need spiritual food. Get that? To be healthy, you need food. To be spiritually healthy, it's not any different. You just need spiritual food. So what is that spiritual food that we need? The spirit, let, let me read you a passage from Proverbs. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. That's where the spirit is. So you're putting something into your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Who wants life? Who wants health in their flesh? That's what I want. I want life. I want joy. I want health. I want to be brimming. I want to be full of energy. Joyce carefully timed yawn at the word energy. <laughs> I want to be full of energy and wide awake. So I need spiritual food. That's good for me. So what is spiritual food? 
Spiritual food is the word you chew over and digest. Spiritual food is the word you chew over and digest. And we don't know, to man, you know, particularly when we've been, not been Christians for a long time or we, we've not heard this before, we don't automatically know how to eat and exercise spiritually. We have all the food and equipment we need, but we need to go in how we feed well and work out well. So I remember... Um, Matthew, our son, having his first driving lessons. Anybody remember their first driving lessons? I remember the, the, the nervousness of Christina relearning to drive last year and, and, and coping on British roads as opposed to Spanish roads. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't always come natural. Well, it didn't really come natural to our son. And so I took him out and, and, and I thought the best, best approach to this is to take him out on, that, on the long straight roads with no people. I thought no people's good. So we, we went on, on this long road over to Fullborn and then out, out to Bolsham. And I noticed two things about Matthew his driving because it, this was quite, uh, quite early in him learning to drive and he you know how you, you kind of really have to think about what you're going to do with the clutch and the brake and the, the indicators in your mirror, and it's kind of all unnatural. And, and Matthew had the, the, this, this thing in that he got easily distracted by cars coming towards him. And you would find him wandering off and having to be told to straighten up. And, and, and you know, particularly if you took him out when it was dusk or, or at night, the, the, the lights attracted him. And whilst this, this learning to drive was all really unnatural at first, he actually persevered and obviously he learned to drive. And now, you know, there's only Cheryl worries about his driving. <laughs> Every time she go, he goes out in the car, she tells him, be careful, drive carefully, drive slowly. You've only got a little car, you, you know, all these sort of things. Um, but he, he drives now, he's a good driver. But believers do the same thing as my son did, in a, in a spiritual way, in that we get drawn to what's coming towards us instead of keeping on track. The way we keep on track is to have our heart fixed on the word. The word is the white lines we don't cross. The word is, marks out the path for us to go. It's the direction. So how, how do we do this? Well, yes, we've got to concentrate and, and we've got to get the word in us and we've got to understand the word. But we've also got to live it. And, and that means we actually have to apply the word. So... That's why spiritual food isn't just knowing the right ingredients or that green is good for you, all those sort of things. That's, that's not what... You actually have to chew it over and digest it. That means you, you've got to take it in in a way that provides nutrition for you and a way that develops you and grows your faith. John says this, he says that 
we have everything we need to be mature children of God. Says that right in John chapter 1. So you've already got everything you need to be mature children of God. You've got the, the processor unit inside it, the digestive unit inside you to use that spiritual food. So we need to get that spiritual food in, the good food for us, and then let our digestive units have a go at it. We need to chew it over, and we need to use it. Because when we, when we do that, it nourishes our inner man, it nourishes our spirit man, and that faith comes forward, that faith that we need grows, that faith to stand firm, that faith to, to not get drawn away by the headlights coming towards you or, or the traffic coming towards you, but to stay on track. Okay, so that's food. So the other, the other bit of that, that Cheryl absorbed of the, the worldwide Zoe phenomenon was exercise, which is why she had me marching off over clifftops and all sorts of things. We found beaches with nobody on, but we had to walk the length of the beach and all the way back. And, and it, was, it was good, but I'd really hate sand in my shoes. <laughs> you see, what happens when we eat? What happens when we eat is that we use it up. So it's not just any good to just to eat once. Like if I, if, if I was here or, or you were here and you hadn't had a meal for the last two weeks, something would be going on in your body that's not particularly healthy. Because you'd be starting to starve. And that, that, that's not good for you. So we need to eat, eat regularly. But the reason we use up that food is exercise. So if we don't do much exercise, we use it up more slowly. But we still use it up because our body burns up stuff. It uses stuff. Life uses stuff up. All that worrying that's going on in your head is using up calories. All that, that like coping with the change in temperature because you haven't brought your coat with you, it's using calories. In fact, it's using calories, shockingly, quicker than you do on a treadmill running. You know how long it is on a treadmill to use up a Mars bar? It's terrible. It's more than 20 minutes, Roger. It's like two hours. <laughs> it's like 500 calories you've got to burn. You're thinking it's one, two, and you go, <gasps> got to die. <laughs> but anyway, my point is this, that you use up the food that you've taken in. And by, just like in the natural, by using up, that energy, that food you've taken in. Your muscles get stronger, but you can't live your entire life on just one meal. You've got to keep eating the right food to replenish your strength. So the second component of that growing our faith is to be healthy in the natural, to be healthy, you need exercise. See, that's worrying some people more than the you need food. Like, I like the I need food. I'm not so, good, not so keen on the I need exercise. And I'll explain why in a minute. To, 
To be healthy, you need exercise. To be spiritual healthy, you need spiritual exercise. So what is spiritual exercise? Spiritual exercise is using what you've taken in. See, I told you it was simple, but it's deep. Using what you've taken in. There's a, a little letter towards the back of the Bible called, and, it, and it's uh, titled Jude. And this guy called Jude, he says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So who's this, who's this guy with this amazing wisdom? Because I'll, I'll explain why that's just so uh, spot on in a minute. So this guy, Jude, anybody know who Jude was? Put your hand up. Don't, say, don't shout it out. We've got one. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you who Jude is. Jude, is, he describes himself as the brother of James. Anybody know who James was? James was Jesus' half-brother. So James at this time, he's head of the church in Jerusalem, and Jude's going, I've got the kudos to be able to say something here, guys, because I'm James's brother. And he's the guy with the authority. I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same things as he would be saying. So Jude was actually Jesus' Jesus's brother. And, and for a long time, when Jesus was on earth, Jude was a skeptic. Jude comes along... You, you miss it sometimes because actually in, in, in the event, he's actually called Judas. So Judas is one of those that comes along with Jesus' mother and James and they try and persuade Jesus to stop what he's doing and come home. Before, you know, like, like just come on, son, just come home, just leave it. It's not working. You know, just come. It's going it's to end badly. So they try and talk Jesus out of it. And, and Jude was there. Now, you miss it sometimes because he's called Judas. The reason he's called Jude here is not that he changed his name. The reason is nobody wanted to be called Judas after Jesus' crucifixion. So they, they changed the name to Jude when they, they wrote it all down. So that, that's who we're dealing with. And Recently, I, I decided to kind of take it as his advice, and I'll explain why it's his advice in a minute, and to take the, the Zoe advice and exercise more. So when we, when we were in uh, Mallorca in September, I decided I was going to swim each day, and I, I went running each day as well, but I decided I'd swim each day, and each day I would add two more lengths of the pool. So for over a fortnight, that's quite a... Con if you set up at 10 lengths, that's quite a lot. So I'm doing this, and uh, I was feeling really good, really great. And after about eight or nine days of doing this, I was in absolute pain with my shoulder and couldn't swim anymore. And uh, I realized that what we need to do is exercise rightly so we don't get injured. And that's what Jude's on about. He's actually saying, this is, how, this is how you exercise what's in you. See, a lot of us, we want to like pile out and go, I, I just, I just want to like zap lightning from my fingers with the power of God. Or 
you know, I want to see millions saved or I want to see revival in our nation. And we get all hot and excited about it. And then we get injured. You know, we, we get tired. The, the muscles, the spiritual muscles hurt. They, get, they, get, they ache. And Jude's saying, here's my advice to you. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. That, that word keep, that's the key word there. It means we've got to do something. This is the exercise. We've got to make sure that's where we are in the love of God. So that requires some action from us. That word translated keep means to watch over or maintain, to keep intact. So he's telling us that what we need to do is tone up and stay in tone. And the way we tone up spiritually is to give attention to knowing and experiencing the love of God. So how does that work? That works when we pray to him and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and be there with his presence. That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God. It's an encounter that comes by prayer. But is that the whole picture? Is that all that we need for spiritual exercise? Well, that word keep helps us with that as well, because what it's also saying is that we, in getting in shape, we need to guard against the things that come along and throw us off track. So we need to do it in a way that you don't end up with the injury. So what does that mean? It means we have to guard against things that would throw us out of the love of God or make it hard for us to experience the love of God. And, and that, that, that are things like offense. Offense is massive. I've seen offense destroy believers' walks with Christ for years, decades. It's understandable in the natural, but spiritually, it's poison to your system. It's a shoulder injury. It's a broken leg. It's a heart attack, spiritually. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. Here's the big one. I, I, I used to think offence was the big one. But offence often goes further and becomes vengeance and revenge. That should never, ever be the mark of a believer. Wanting vengeance on somebody. B 
But keeping ourselves in the love of God isn't just about being loved by God. It's also about loving others we see the way God loves. And, it, and if we've got that offense and we've got that bitterness or we want vengeance or we want all, all these, these things to happen and we're carrying that unforgiveness, then it's really hard to love others in the way God's love does. It gets in the way. See, God loved us when we didn't want him. He had every reason to be offended by us, every reason to be unforgiving, and yet he forgave and he gave us mercy. That's why he says, when he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that actually we're the first people that need mercy. We're the first people that need to experience God, but we also need to live that out in the way we deal with others. So to stay in tone, we need to tune to love. If we keep ourselves in love, the Bible tells us that as we, as we know God's love, we fear less and less. Because love perfected forces out fear. The more you know God, the less you should be bothered by what's going on. Because you can trust him and know him and, and love. You know, he's, he's promised you that he'll protect you. He's promised you he'll prosper you. He's promised you he'll heal you. He's promised you he'll look after you. And he's promised you he'll take you through the valley and he'll lay a table for you in the place of your enemies. So all we've got to do is try to stop trying to lay that table in front of our enemies for ourselves and let him do it. And so when we keep ourselves in love, we have nothing to fear, nothing to be anxious about. So we need food and we need exercise. We need to tone up or we'll blow up. It's so important. You need, to, you need to be spiritually toned or you'll blow up when stuff comes along. So you have to, it's not an either or. You have to tone up so you won't blow up. So just like I tried to tone up without really engaging the spirit in it and having any wisdom, my shoulder's blown up and it's been painful for ages. And it's still painful. But we need to do both. We need good food and we need the right exercise. And that exercise is not only being loved by God and letting him love us, but loving others and keeping our hearts and getting that other stuff out of the way. So whatever we're going through, whatever comes along, whatever we, we're facing right now, whatever we hear on the news, whatever the doctors say, whatever the bank statement says, whatever the mortgage says, whatever the politics says, whatever comes on the news next, it's going to try and blow us out of the water. Whatever your neighbor says, whatever the internet says, whatever somebody in your workplace says, you can come through. And you can stand stable in the midst of the coming through. It's one thing to come through, but if we're going to be that everlasting man, we need to be standing stable in the midst of coming through. You see, 
many Christians come through, but in the coming through, five years have gone and nobody's seen them stand stable and nobody's been reached by them because we look like the world. And right at this moment, we can no longer afford to look like the world because it's not working. We need to look like that righteous man who is unmoved by what's around them. Let's stand. Father, I thank you. I thank you that in the new birth you gave is your spirit. And I thank you that means that we have your faith deposited in, in us. That we have new life. That we are no longer just ordinary men and women, but we are a new species of being, alive in you. So Lord, I pray that you would Draw that to our remembrance. Just get, just get on our case, Lord, and, and, and just show us and tell us and keep pulling us up. I give you permission to pull me up, Lord, every time that those words of Paul, I'm walking like a mere man, would apply to me. And Lord, let me have the wisdom to eat the right food, to digest it, and then use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, faith life.